0: Lord, now we pray that you would help us to focus in on your word as we discuss life. Each one of us, Lord, uh, lives in this world, even though it's not our home. Truly, we are passing through, but we are passing through, and as we do, we need your help and your grace. So I pray today that your word would ring true to each of us in our lives, that you would use it to help us to walk a life worthy of the calling which you've given to us in Christ. Lord, I thank you for each person here today and pray that your word would touch our hearts, that it would find fertile soil and take root, and that it would grow and that it would produce fruit that lasts. I pray against any influence that would seek to hinder the working of your word in our hearts today. Holy Spirit, I pray that you would protect me from saying anything that's not your truth. But that you would lift up Jesus. And that we would be able to glorify our Father who is in heaven. Use this time now we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, if you're here for the first time, I um, wanted to share with you that we are working through a series of sermons that um, we call Breaking Free from the Chains of the Seven Deadly Sins. And uh, we will work, we've will we worked through all of the uh, six first six of the seven deadly sins, and today is the last one, and I've intentionally left this one for last, uh, because it's one that inflames the others of the sinful list. And of course, the seven deadly sins is not the only area of sinfulness that we face in our lives. But they are a summary of some of the big rock sins in our lives. And uh, I believe that, well, maybe with the exception of laziness, um, this particular sin inflames the others. The culture tells us that um, things in our lives that we face um, pull us down and they, they face us. And we, we are faced with these areas of sinfulness uh, everywhere we go. And, and this particular sin, the sin of lust, inflames them. I can, uh, I can look into uh, somebody else's boat and see a nice, shiny, diwa bait casting reel, and I can look at that, but when I experience lust after that, then I'm, <laughs> then I'm taken to a different level of noticing it, because, you know, I'm interested in fishing reels. Um, we might uh, work hard to advance in our careers and practice wise money management, but when lust enters the, the picture, we take it to a different level, and then we begin to get hungry for power, and pride comes in, and lust seems to, seems to inflame the worst in us, in our lives. So uh, what is it that, nest, that uh, the Bible calls lust? Well, I'd like to compare lust to temptation. I'd like to suggest to you that temptation might be described as an interest with opportunity. Um, I said before, I have an interest in fishing and fishing equipment and tackle. And and uh, whenever I see something, I, I'm just interested in it. And, in, and an interest is something that, you know, I simply am alive. And I, I look at it, you know, I'm interested in cars. I'm interested in golf clubs. I'm interested in women. I guess I'm just interested. And all day, every day. Our culture throws these interests. I just run into them because I'm alive. I've got eyes. I've got ears. You know. And when I see something that I'm interested in, I notice it. I may not be searching to become aware of these interests, but they just, they just come upon me. But when it becomes an opportunity included in that interest then it becomes a temptation. And what I mean by that is when I see an advertisement on television for a Daiwa baitcasting reel, and then Cabela's says, and there's a sale. Now there's an opportunity. And now I'm tempted. Because there's an interest with an opportunity and an interest with an opportunity, is a temptation. But that's not sin. I would suggest to you that an interest with opportunity grows into sin because of lust, which I describe as an evil desire. My interest in Daiwa fishing reels could easily develop into an obsession to have more. And I already have, I've got 15 fishing poles. <laughs> I need 15 fishing poles. But I really don't need 16. You see, um, when lust comes in, I begin to not think straight. And I begin to think, well, I've got to have it. And then there's this desire, and I would consider it to be an evil desire when an interest with opportunity becomes an evil desire. So an interest becomes a temptation when there's an opportunity, and a temptation becomes sin when it is carried away by an evil desire. Now the temptation, though, I would remind you, is not bad. In fact, 1 Corinthians 10.13 tells us, No temptation which is an interest with opportunity, has come upon you except what is common to mankind, and God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted, beyond what you can bear, but when you are tempted, he will also provide a way of escape that you may be able to endure it. So temptations are common even to Jesus. Lust, on the other hand, is an evil desire that takes the interest with opportunity to a sinful behavior. It's the evil desire within that says, Come on! You know you want it. Come on! You know you can do it. And when, when your mind goes there and when your thoughts go there, you've fallen into lust. Temptation is an opportunity... Lust, on the other hand, sin is already there because the evil desire is within you. Now you say, where is this found in the Bible? Well, I'd like us to turn to James chapter 1. If you have your Bibles, and with, please turn there. Otherwise, I'll project it on the screen. I think this distinction between a temptation and lust is described in verses 17 to or verses 13 to 15 in James chapter 1. James writes, When tempted, no one should say God is tempting me, for God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. But each person is tempted when they are dragged away by their own evil desires and enticed. Then after desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin, and sin, when it's full grown, gives birth to death. In this passage, James uses the word temptation, but the context clearly teaches us that it's temptation with evil desire. Now follow the logic here. Verse 13 says God cannot experience temptation with evil desire. Right? Because within God there is no evil desire. The same is true with Jesus. He was fully God, even though Jesus was tempted just as we are within Jesus, there is no evil desire. There was interest, there was opportunity, but since within Jesus there was no evil desire, he never fell into lust. I would suggest that he had many opportunities, but he never committed sin. But verse 14 tells us clearly that temptation that James is talking about includes evil desire. The description here is of someone who has already been dragged away. Lust has already taken the temptation to a temptation to sin. Now, I go through all this discussion in order to make the point that I believe that it's, while it's impossible to avoid being tempted because interests and opportunities are always thrust upon us, it must be possible to resist temptation with evil desire. In fact, the Bible promises that we can, as we just read in 1 Corinthians 10.13. Martin Luther has a famous quote, You cannot prevent a bird from flying over your head, but you can prevent it from building a nest in your hair. And so it must be possible for us to experience temptation and interest with opportunity, but not allow it to move into temptation with evil desire or lust. Now, the most obvious area where lust leads us to sin is the elephant in the room. And the elephant in the room, I'd like to suggest to you, is sexual lust. Now, I want to take a few moments to speak of this issue. We live in a licentious, crazed culture. Um, licentiousness is used everywhere in advertising, everywhere we go. TV sitcoms, it's the subjects of more jokes than any other subject. 83%, researchers have said, 83% of the jokes on Main channel sitcoms are about immorality, about licentiousness. TV dramas and cinema, it's just assumed that when a couple goes on a date, that's where they're going to end up. They're going to end up in bed. Um, one of my pastor friends um, was, um, was confronted with a letter um, from one of his parishioners. And said, "Dear Pastor, is there a difference between pornography and hardcore pornography?" <laughs> he said, "Because I'm very interested in the TV series Game of Thrones, and I know Game of Games of Thrones has uh, explicit sex in it, explicit immorality in it." but it's only rated TV-MA. So, is it okay for me to watch it? And you see, we're confronted so frequently and to such depth with this area of lust, immorality in our culture that we're we're asking these questions and we wonder Why are we even asking this question? But we are. It's possible that there are some who are here today or listening online that you're in the midst of the battle of your lives with pornography, sexual lust. Now, I want to clarify that normal sexual desire between a man and a woman within marriage relationship is not evil desire. It's a... Healthy desire, it's a holy desire. It was invented by God as intended to be an expression of His glory. It's not dirty. Only if it's misused does it become lust. And anytime we pursue any form of media, any type of behavior that is outside of the holy bond of marriage, we're dealing with this issue of lust. Let me give you one more background idea about this sin, and it's from James chapter one verse fourteen. It's still on the screen. Look at verse fourteen. Each person is tempted when they are dragged away by their own evil desire. Now, that pressure to take an interest to the next level of an evil desire originates within us. James calls it our own evil desire. Peter writes, Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh, which wage war against your soul. You see, it's something that's within us. It's It's within our fallen nature. There's this propensity to sinfulness. And when desire, which could be good, turns into an evil desire or a lure and enticement to sin, we can't blame anyone else but ourselves. Flip Wilson, if you remember him, a long generation ago, the devil made me do it. It's not true. It's not true. We are responsible for our own Desires, But I would suggest that there's a silver lining in this truth. And that silver lining is this. If we are responsible for something, we can do something about it. If it's our responsibility, we can do something to correct it. And as we've been discussing, as we've dealt with the other of the seven deadly sins, instead of falling into pride, we can pursue humility. Instead of practicing anger, we can love and serve others. Instead of falling into greed and materialism, we can learn how to be rich toward God and learn how to give generously to causes that touch the heart of God. We can want what we have instead of envying what others have. We can work to the glory of God instead of settling for laziness. And we can practice self-control with food rather than falling into gluttony. And I would suggest to you we can take steps to defeat lust when its ugly head is raised in our lives so that temptation does not grow in to an evil desire to sin. So let me share with you a twofold strategy of how to break the chains of lust. And as I do, I want you to know that I preach this sermon to myself a lot. I don't know how we can avoid preaching this sermon to ourselves if we're a believer living in this culture today. Twofold strategy. Number one, still in James chapter one, learn the progression of lust, verses 14 and 15. Bible says, but each person is tempted when they're dragged away by their own evil desires and enticed. Then after desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin and sin, when it is full grown, gives birth to death. So the evil dire desire from within just doesn't come up. It it is something that, that we struggle with as a progression. Um, my wife used to be a bank teller in uh, the state bank in the first town where I was a pastor. And she had a coworker, And she fell into lust. It was lust for money. Let me explain to you how this happened. The first thing that happened with this person, she was a believer. She attended our church. She fell into temptation. Every day she handled thousands of dollars. So she was around money all the time. And then there was an opportunity for her to steal some of that money. It was there every day. And so she was tempted to steal that money. But then one day she came to the bank and her family needed extra cash. And so the evil desire to steal welled up within her and her temptation then became an evil desire. She reasoned, well, I know this system. I can get away with a quick ten bucks and I can just call it, um, you know, an error in my box. So I got it all worked out in her mind. Now it's an evil desire and sin was born. She was enticed, the Bible says, convinced herself that she can get away with it. This bank teller needed the money. And she was convinced that she could successfully, in her little scheme, get ready for it. And and she had a plan. And she says, when the, when the time comes, I'll be ready. Sin had been conceived, and soon it burst forth with action. And she decided Monday was the best day. So the first Monday of the month came along. She slipped a $10 bill in her pocket and Nobody noticed. And pretty soon, sin became mature in her life, and she began to do it Monday after Monday. Well, I've already begun, and you know, if I get caught, I'm, I'm going to get fired, so I might, as well, I might as well just go all the way in. So 10 dollars became a hundred dollars, and a hundred dollars became 200 dollars, and of course, she got caught. And sin ended up in death. She lost her job. She lost her reputation. She she was ready to be arrested because she followed the path of lust. Lusting after money. Now so I would suggest that if we learn from this progression, we can recognize where we are on the path to death. Where are we? Are we in the temptation phase? Are we in the temptation with an evil desire? Are we in the enticement stage? Are we mature? I would suggest to you that no matter where you are on this progression, you can stop. You can get off the rail. Well, I can't control myself, you might say. I would suggest, yes, you can. Imagine a husband and a wife in a fierce argument. They're going back and forth about money or credit card debt, and they're a heated argument and the telephone rings. Hello. <laughs> yeah, we can control ourselves if you really believe that we need to. But let me just continue to review for us what I consider to be the plan. For controlling all sin, and that's practicing a lifestyle of repentance. And I, and I just say this over and over and over again because I believe it is the key. It's based on Romans chapter 6, chapter 6 verse 13, where Paul says, do not offer any part of yourself to sin as an instrument of wickedness, but rather offer yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life. And offer every part of yourself to him as an instrument of righteousness. So repentance has three steps in it. One, turn from sin. Do not offer yourself to sin as instruments of righteousness. Okay. Turn from it. Stop. But you can't stop there because... You need to do something next where there's power. And that power comes in step number two, offer yourself to God. You see where Paul says that in the text? But rather, offer yourselves to God as those who are raised from death to life. This can be nothing more than prayer. Offerings ourselves to God. This is receiving the power of the Holy Spirit in our lives. I'll share more about this in a minute. But I would suggest that this is a key thing for us as we, as we think about this area of lust especially. If, if, our, if our evil desire is coming from within us and we're beginning to go, I've got to do it, I've got to do it, I've got to do it. Offer yourselves to God and say, God, derail this within me. Holy Spirit, stop it within me. One thing that helps, I believe, is to learn to hate the sin more than its consequences. Hate the sin more than the consequences. Now, what do I mean by that? Because sin has always got consequences, right? Sometimes consequences are huge. But if we learn to hate the sin itself more than the consequences then we'll have a higher ability to resist it. Think about not necessarily the consequences of the sin, rather think of the holiness of the one against whom we sin. You see, sin is an affront to God, a God in his holiness. We're, we're shaking our fist at God and saying, God, I'm going to do my own thing. God who so lovingly sacrificed himself in Christ. And if we can learn how to say, God, I just hate this sin. I hate doing this to God. We're well on the way to being motivated to to stop sin in its tracks. But third, live in a way that promotes spiritual health. And this is what we've been talking about all through this series. It's not necessarily thinking only about sin. It's talking about how to live a healthy life. And as we learn to live a healthy Christian life, we'll find that the chains of sin just don't stick as much as they used to because we're focused on living a healthy spiritual Christian life. So I'm going to go back to this area of lust And first of all, if we think about the progression and we think about stopping the progression, and by the way, the sooner on the progression that you stop, the easier it's going to be. You know, if you stop on step two, it's going to be easier than if you get into step three. And if you stop at step three, it's going to be easier than if you go into step four. But let me tell you, beloved, you can always stop no matter how far into it, how deep you're into it, if you come to God with a sincere heart and say, God, I want to turn from this and I offer myself to you. Please give me your power and I'm going to begin to live a different way as those who have been raised from death to life and begin a new way of living. God will honor your repentance and he will give you his power. But I want to give you what I think is the key overcoming lust, and it's from a different passage, 2 Timothy chapter 2, beginning with verse 22. Paul says, flee the evil desires of youth and pursue righteousness, faith, love, peace, along with those who call on the Lord out of a pure heart. Here's the key to overcoming lust. Are you ready? Hold on. Run! Yeah! Run! That's what Paul says. Run! Flee is a, is a decisive action word. doesn't say think about it. Doesn't say, let's do a Bible study about it. Doesn't say, oh, I think I'll pray about it. Says, run. Now. Run. And then he elaborates. First, run from. Run from. Paul says, flee youthful passions. Isn't that interesting term, youthful passions? We adults, <laughs> Paul says, run from those adolescent stuff. You know, have you ever known a 45-year-old adolescent? Sometimes spiritually, we 68-year-old guys act like teenagers that don't know the Lord. I think Paul is shaming us a little bit with this. Scott, you've been walking with Jesus for 45 years. You ought to know better than to do that. (sighs) Lord, why didn't I run? But God, I I should have run. Why didn't I flee the youthful passions? I know better than that. Well, so I turn from it and I present myself to God and I begin living the other direction. Which leads us to the second step. Run to. What do we run to? Well, we run to things that are of the Holy Spirit. Doesn't this sound like the Holy Spirit in your life? Pure righteousness, faith, love, peace. These all remind us of the fruit of the Spirit, don't they? But listen to what the Apostle Paul says. He says, I say, walk by the Spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. Now, that's a great promise. Present yourself to God, receive the Holy Spirit, and you will not gratify the evil desires of lust. Uh, This is such an important thing that starting two weeks from today, I'm going to start a six-part series on the Holy Spirit. How to walk by the Holy Spirit. How to have God's power within us to live a life that is fulfilling and honoring to God and free from the chains of sin. I don't want to be simplistic, but I would suggest to you that the power of the Holy Spirit in their lives is the key to all sinful resistance. And then have an arsenal in your 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 backpacket. to to overcome lust. Paul says, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there's any excellence, if there's anything worthy of praise, think about these things. Have something to do when you turn and present yourself to God. Have something ready to do in its place. So, run from, run to, and here's a powerful one. Run with. Run with, Paul says, along with those who call on the Lord from a pure heart. Brothers and sisters, I don't think there's a verse in all the Bible that is more clear on the benefits of genuine Christian fellowship. Biblical community. Run with others who have the same commitment to please the Lord as you do. Hebrews 10 says, And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of sun, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. Find someone to meet with that can nurture below the surface sharing. Let me make just a comment about accountability groups. Uh, for men, this started in the Promise Keepers movement where we'd get together and, and we'd have seven questions that we'd ask. It. Did any of you guys do Promise Keepers? And you know the seven questions. You know, um, were you ever alone with a woman other than your wife? Did you find yourself looking at something you shouldn't look looked at? And there was all these seven questions. And the number seven question was, did you just lie to me? And so we'd get together with guys and we'd, we'd share and and we'd get below the surface and we'd talk about life. And uh, every time I went to one of those groups, I always lied. Because I think those are okay questions, but I think they're the wrong question. I would suggest to you the right question in accountability group is this. When have you sinned this week? And how did you practice repentance? How did you practice repentance? You see, that helps, because if all I do is confess my sins to my brothers, I whether they love me and I know they love me or not, I still feel their their finger of judgment. Don't you feel that when you you know? I know they might not intend it, but I always felt it. And so there's some things I just didn't tell them. But if they were to say to me, Scott, when, when you sinned this week, notice they didn't say if. <laughs> did you practice repentance? Did you turn from it? Did you offer yourself to God? How would you offer yourself to God? Can I help you offer yourself to God right now? And then did you move in the other direction? Did you have something to do instead of it? Did you, did you practice some, some pursuit of holiness? Let me help you do that. Let's pray together about how to do that. You know, the Bible says there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. The last thing we need is to get together and condemn one another. The last thing we need in the church is to feel worse after we left than before we came. (laughs) See, practicing repentance is freedom. It's something that God gives us as a gift, and we're going to learn about that next week. And as we practice repentance and we encourage one another through practicing a lifestyle of repentance, begins to establish healthy living and freedom from these things that we call the the seven deadly sins, which are the big rock sins. But there's all kinds of different. We're pretty creative. We can always find ways to sin. But I think that's the right question when we run together. How have you practiced repentance this week? And can I help you practice repentance right now? You see, this is the truth of the gospel. The truth of the gospel is this, from 1 John chapter 1. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. Can't get much more clear than that, can we? If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves. But if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. Now listen to this next part, a verse from chapter 2. My little children, I'm writing these things to you that you may not sin. Whoa. You mean it's actually possible to face temptation and to not fall into it? Yes. Learn the progression of sin. And then when you're faced with it, run. (laughs) Run from. Run to. Run with. (laughs) And you can overcome. You can break the chains of sin. And John says, it's possible. But, you know... Anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. He is the propitiation for our sins, and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. Brothers and sisters, please be encouraged in your battle in this world. Please be encouraged. I would suggest to you that at the end of the Apostle Paul's life when he says, I fought the good fight, I think what he is saying is I practiced repentance all my life. I learned how to recognize sin and I turned from it and I presented myself to God and I began to go the other direction and I fought that battle and I fought that battle and I never gave up and I never condemned myself and I never condemned anybody else. And so when I put my head on that pillow, I could be satisfied. Lord, I fought today. Oh, I fought hard today. I didn't win every time, but you know, I I fought hard and I presented myself to you. And I thank you that there is no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus. And I can sleep knowing I'm right with you. That's the power of a lifestyle of repentance. Let me ask you a question today. Are you in the grip of one of these big rock sins? Pride, anger, greed, envy, laziness, gluttony, lust. May I ask you today, could you get before God and say, Lord, I confess, and right now I turn from it and I take my initial step to turn to you. Holy Spirit, give me your power. May I walk with you today and teach me how to walk a life of healthy Christian living so I can know that there's no condemnation because I'm in Christ and I can fight the good fight. Father in heaven, help us Help us in this battle of life. Lord, the Bible tells us that in the world you will have trials and tribulations. But be of good cheer because Jesus has overcome them. He has given us the spirit, the spirit of hope. He has given us his word, which teaches us how to live a healthy Christian life. And you've given us the gospel, which sets us free from the accusations of the law. Is there anyone here today who's not sure that they belong to Jesus? That they're saying, you know, you know I've, I've listened to this, Scott, and, you know, it sounds okay, but I've never experienced that type of power. Maybe you've never made a full commitment to the Lord Jesus Christ. And as First John tells us, if we confess our sins, he is faithful. He's faithful to his promise that says that his death does forgive sins. And he's just, which says that if we confess our sins, he'll keep his promise. And he will forgive us of for our sins. You can pray right now in your heart. You don't have to raise your hand. You don't have to stand or come forward. Just Believe the promise of God. Lord, I receive the grace of your forgiveness. And I commit myself to a lifestyle of repentance. And if that's your experience today, I'd love to talk with you about it. Talk with one of our elders. Talk with Pastor Nile if you've got a relationship with him. Lord, we, we just thank you and praise you for your grace that you've given to us in Christ. Continue now to work on our hearts and lives for your honor and glory, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.